Welcome to ZEOcast, six questions for industry leaders in uncrewed aerial systems, geospatial, artificial intelligence, autonomy, and the industries that support them. Brought to you by ZEO Air. I'm your host, Bronwyn Morgan. Sit back and enjoy this week's guest. Next on ZEOcast is Chad Sweet. Chad is the co-founder and CEO of Modal AI, a blue UAS framework manufacturer of autonomous autopilots for drones and ground robots. Sweet is highly experienced in robotics R&D, and during his 20 years at Qualcomm, led efforts in computer vision and wireless communications, with 15 patents granted. He was responsible for a groundbreaking project such as the Snapdragon flight, which is powering NASA's Ingenuity, the first drone to fly on Mars. Sweet is committed to advancing the drone industry by providing innovators with small, smarter, and safer open robot and drone autopilots manufactured in the USA. Join me in welcoming Chad Sweet. Chad Sweet, welcome to ZEOcast. It is so great to have you on. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here, Brunwyn. Absolutely. You're doing some pretty amazing stuff. We really want to get into it. Um, Everything that you're working on with autopilot technology, big subject for me right now, and I know for a lot of people. And so before we get into all that stuff, let's talk about your background uh, in aerospace and robotics and how that's led to entrepreneurship in drone technology and uh, innovative solutions with modal. Yeah, absolutely. So Prior to starting Modal AI, I was at Qualcomm, which is a large semiconductor company here in San Diego. I was there for about 20 years. The last five or six years, I led robotics R&D there, where we had produced a platform called Snapdragon Flight, which that platform actually eventually made it all the way to the Mars on the Mars helicopter. Wow. There, so that's really cool. That is. <laughs> uh, oh, my goodness. That's, that's super exciting. Yeah, so in 2018, we had the opportunity to effectively form a new company using all of that technology, and we worked really closely with Qualcomm to do so, and we still maintain a very good relationship with them. And uh, so much so that last summer, summer of 2021, we launched a product called the Qualcomm Flight RB5 5G, which was somewhat the world's first real like 5G reference drone and so forth. And so that's that's uh, gone well to help a lot of those folks like working on industrial uh, operations where you not, might need this connectivity and so forth. And then we have our Modal AI's core computing platform builds on the Snapdragon flight and Qualcomm flight uh, legacy, as you might say, or that architecture and advances that we call our platform Voxel VOXL, mm-hmm. and this spring we launched Voxel 2, which is a newer, more capable version of that. And mm-hmm. so our our role in the world is to provide a step function to more sophisticated autonomous capabilities, and we have uh, th- to really enable our customers to move more quickly, and we strive to have our products be as accessible and transparent as as possible. 
Well, let's dive into that a little bit. Um, when it comes to your tech, who's your primary audience? Which part of the sector uh, would you be focusing on? That's a great question. I would say anything that's not really consumer. We don't do. We don't really focus on consumer at all. Mm-hmm. You know, meaning like the flying cameras at the beach or something like that. Mm-hmm. But broadly, enterprise UAVs, enterprise UAS, SUAS, and really any group trying to build some new use case. So we don't really have a, a specific niche. We have a broad set of customers doing all sorts of uh, interesting, uh, interesting ca- or adding interesting capabilities. Uh, a number of indoor things that's kind of novel, like greenhouse inspection, vertical farming type stuff, oh. oil, uh, refinery, interior inspection type applications from that all the way many government, you know, broadly government is a big customer of a lot of UAV vendors and integrators. And so there's a lot of pull through there, but, you know, we work with our, our, our platform was used with the DARPA offset swarming program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, we've worked with, uh, JPL on some stuff, which is, you know, for, more NASA type applications. And so just a broad set of, of uh, customers doing all sorts of things, which is hard. Like, I don't know that we chose the easy routes. If we right. <laughs> been easier if we'd chosen one thing, like right. one super narrow thing to focus on, but it goes back to that building, you know, this open transparent platform right. that really provides an advantage to our customers in terms of time the market and bringing capabilities yeah. quickly across the board. Right. Well, you know, this is this is pretty amazing uh, technology, and it's 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 not just the future; it's now, and it's what we're all planning for. As we are going to start moving from behind, you know, the controller and really more kind of in this kind of command control environment, uh, BB loss and such. So, with that, what are the biggest problems from your perspective facing autonomous solutions, and how do we create the proper safety protocols? So that you know these solutions can deliver against these expectations. I mean, this is this is what we're all we're all working on and what we're waiting for. Yeah. So I would say complexity is still a big problem. These systems are really tough to build at scale, and I think you see a lot of this capability, and you can see the beginnings of a lot of it, and it's inspirational in the sense that if you're in technology and engineering, you want to go, you know, really build that next thing. I'd say there's still, it's still really tough. <laughs> there's not a lot of like turnkey solutions. And so, you know, that's why in terms of, we kind of phrase what we do is accelerating our path, our customer's path towards autonomy and really offering that step function to get them there because there isn't, a plug and play solution. It's hard. So mm-hmm. I think as, as these new use cases become valuable and efficient and cost effective, there's, there's going to be work that, that yeah. still goes into making them, uh, making them safe and uh, realizing that potential of, you know, no operators involved. You know, because that's really the goal, right? Like Absolutely. everybody wants this day where these 
drones are just taken off from a pad or a box or and 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 flying around and and completing their missions and then that i think you know also means low maintenance <laughs> which is that's also a, a, a thing that kind of you know i don't know you know kind of an oxymoron in a sense yeah <laughs> the, the uav pilots spend a lot of time fixing things mm -hmm. and so you've got to get to the point too where the, there's high reliability and that i think is going to that'll be, a, you know, play a big part of this is just the industry moving together to advance reliability, these capabilities, more turnkey solutions, more definition around what various terms mean. You know, the auto industry went through that, or not went through it, they're obviously going through that uh, mm -hmm. today, you know, and they define these levels of autonomy, and then regulations are written around what these levels of autonomy mean. I think there'll be some element, and the FAA has done that and they're starting, you know, they're talking about BV loss, uh, uh, more than just waivers, right? Addendums to 107 and, um, right. and and those types of things. And so, the, and so, I think I, I think those definitions will help, and I think you know, something to test against will be very, very useful. Mm -hmm. Agreed, very much so. Um, and so, when you think about your your overall challenges or our challenges as an industry on on integration now you know once we get past safety uh we've checked that box what are some of the other hurdles that we may be dealing with from an from an integration perspective do you think or do you think that there is one or do you think we should you know at, at some point here in the near future um we should all be able to hit the skies at once <laughs> well yeah let's uh yeah, let's get one working really, really well, which I actually think, you, you know, in the sense that I think that is something that the original Part 107 regulation helped usher about is, or uh, usher through is, okay, here's what you can do. And it was limited, right? And everybody was panicked about how limited it was. But I think that focus helped create the opportunity, you know, the, the OEMs knew what they needed to build. So they built to that spec to enable great 107 pilots to go achieve their mission and achieve their goals and provide utility for the company or their customers and so forth. And so that, so once that happened, so now there's, yeah, of course, now we want to do more, right? Like we want to do, you know, two aircraft to one operator, three aircraft to one op operator. And I think, so I'd say that would be, I think, you know, maybe baby steps, like let, let's figure out how to do two aircraft safely with one operator, right. three aircraft safely with one operator. Then once we start getting beyond that, then I think you will start to need these points of integration where, you know, if company A is 10 miles away from company B and they're both flying their fleets of 20 aircraft around, you know, I don't know if there's neighboring solar farms or wind farm next door to a solar farm kind of thing, but, you know, then there will really need to be uh, a focus on on that kind of integration where each each party will have to be you know integrated with the airspace and I think you know our we spent a lot of time at Qualcomm on cellular connectivity for UAVs when we started it was believed it didn't work it was too high up it wasn't possible the antennas were pointed to the ground and it was actually very easy to show that that wasn't the case um, mm -hmm. we did a lot of work and we did a lot of flights and put a lot of effort into it uh, but it, it, it was easy to prove that a 400 feet cellular networks work 
actually they actually work better than it on the ground. So, you know, I think I'm still biased towards that being a really great way. And it's actually somewhat disappointing that they now pulled that from the remote ID, at least as an option, the remote ID regulation, at least as an option, because in some ways, if you're cellular connected, it's actually easier to publish a remote ID. You already have a connection to the internet. Right. Just put it out there. They use the node on the web. So it's that it's actually pretty straightforward. But um, uh, so, but I do think that concept of UAM and, and, uh, and, you know, a broader management, it, once we get to that, you know, we have to get first pass to multiple UAVs per pilot per operator. And then the next thing will be how do they integrate and not, you know, create problems for each other. Well, I want to come back to that, that, to that topic of UAM here in a second. Um, as an American-based company, are you concerned about your manufacturing and production capability? Without giving away we're, any big secrets. I would say we're excited about our manufacturing <laughs> and production capability. We, yeah. we build everything. Well, I shouldn't say everything, everything. But we build the vast majority of our, our products in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, locally, Southern California. And so... The PCBs, we even run the lines, we source the parts, we run the lines and, and build that here. Sourcing, though, has been, you know, the, with the yes. chip shortage, it's a yes. big topic in the media. That is very, very real. And Excellent. we really uh, feel that pain significantly because we do build all of the stuff and we build it in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a big, a big issue. But, you know, we are starting to see um, that come back to... Um, to uh, American cities and manufacturing, additive manufacturing, advanced manufacturing, uh, a whole you know creation of now new jobs. And so I, I think this is going to be critically important for our industry in the coming years. So it'll be interesting to see how this this all you know comes together. Um, but to your part in your point around sourcing very specific pieces, this takes this is a long game um for some of this to you know to work for the pieces to be there, all the components to be there. Um, and, you know, this is where it'll be interesting to see where technology goes versus its aggressive timing for innovation. And then, you know, where we go on being able to, to make it. Um, so let, let me just stop for a second here, because you mentioned Mars and the work that you did, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, with NASA and, and, uh, and the, the Mars helicopter. So when you think about that incredible experience uh, and, and, you know, the role that you played in it, uh, you're clearly a visionary. And when you combine that with where we're going with uh, advanced aerial mobility, you know, what's your vision for the next 10 years? I mean, do you see you guys moving into um, that space as, as well? Or, you know, what does it look like for you and then just for the industry at large? Well, I think every every in industry in the sense of like the industrial like commercial enterprises will be affected with unmanned by affected by unmanned aerial vehicles mm -hmm. everything over the next 10 years and i whether it's you know there's obvious there's obvious applications today with power line inspection that became like as soon as you didn't need a helicopter holy cow was that just a huge huge Absolutely. win, right, in terms of safety and cost and the whole bit. So, mm -hmm. you know, things like that, we're, I, I think we're just getting started. But, you know, now they say today, you know, 90% of shipping and so forth or packages have come through a semi-truck. 
I think I think some of that's going to play out where all of a sudden, I mean, I don't know in 10 years if it'll be, I'm sure it won't be 90% in 10 years, but, you know, I think it, by, you know, in 10 years, something will have come be an unmanned aerial vehicle. You will have received a package, whether it's, whether it's really in your backyard, I don't know, but something will be, have been transported. You know, you have to imagine moving if, if you, if the big companies need to be moving so much stuff quickly around the city that they don't set up little airways uh, to be shuffling packages and so forth between distribution centers or hubs or whatever it is. And so I think, I think that aspect of it will play out uh, pretty well over the next 10 years. And I think for, there's just, so that I think will be a big part of it. I think anything with inspection, I think it doesn't have to be a high altitude, anything from six feet to 6,000 feet or 60,000 feet are gonna be affected. I think it'll be rather commonplace for big warehouses to have a small UAS performing inspections, you know, cherry pickers where, you know, the guys get up and have to go look for search for to see if a package is up on that shelf or right. boxes are stored up on that shelf. I think you'll have daily maps of your warehouse that are updated and refreshed and searchable. And, right. you know, all of that information will be, will be available and it will be all done and collected autonomously uh, with, with an aerial robot. And right. so I think, you know, from, 200 grams to, you know, 200,000 pound aircraft, I think all of it's going to matter over the next 10 years. And you, and you guys see yourself starting to graduate beyond smaller UAVs, perhaps into to larger systems, maybe. Well, anything that fights gravity benefits uh -huh. from lightweight. Right. <laughs> so, right. you know, smaller is harder in a lot of ways. It uh, is. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, certainly, building something with a ton of computer vision and AI in the sub 200 gram space is really challenging. And that mm -hmm. technology scales right up. You know, there's no, there's no reason if you can build a, you know, if you can build a control system at 50 grams that can do full autonomous navigation, then it's certainly applicable to a, you know, two kilogram robot or a 10 kilogram mm -hmm. robot easily. Okay. Well, you know what? These have been your six questions, Chad. We can go on and on, but one of the things I'd like for you to do is to tell people where we can, you know, where can we find you? Oh, well, easy. Modalai.com, M-O-D-A-L-A-I.com. And all of our products are there. You see videos, demos, and otherwise we're on Twitter at modal underscore AI, and we have a good LinkedIn presence as well. Perfect. We'll put all that in uh, in the show notes. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us on ZioCast today. We look forward to talking with you in the future and hear all the amazing things that you guys are doing at Modal. I really appreciate the time, Ron. It was great. You too. You take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. ZioCast is a podcast dedicated to all things uncrewed, geospatial, AI, and autonomous. Only six questions per guest, so you get the essence of their wisdom. Brought to you by Zio Air, an outsourced AI-based drone services, data analytics, and autonomous platform for critical infrastructure, civil infrastructure, catastrophe and disaster, and climate observation. Visit us at www.zioair.com. Thank you.